Uh, open your Bibles, please, to the book of... How do you know I didn't change it? Pardon me? Okay. No, well, let's do Ephesians, because I didn't change it. and uh, uh, I learned long ago, now I have it with this Bible, but uh, uh, we just were at a conference, and had to carry a Bible around. I didn't carry this. Uh, with the surgery I had in my hand, I have trouble. I think I showed you that. I have trouble dealing with this. So I took my little old Bible. It's got sermons in it. So um, as long as I have that Bible with me, I'm never without something to say because I have notes in it. But uh, we're, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, and we're, today we're going to look at verses 17, probably down, I'd like to go to 32, but we're not going to get there, verses 17 through 24. But let me read to you, beginning with verse 17, and go to the end of the chapter. We are going to get there eventually. Now I say this, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves um, given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I'm sorry, I realized I left a word out and all this was going on in my head as I was trying to continue to read. Let me back up here alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil." Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. There's a whole sermon in the last, in verses 30 through 32. We'll we'll try to go down through... uh, through verse 24 today, at least that's my, my goal. So um, just a, a brief review, uh, we spent the past couple of weeks um, talking about how the body grows and that each one of us is as a member 
is a contributor. And we looked at 1 Corinthians where it talks about gifts. We, we, we mentioned, I believe, Romans if we didn't, if we didn't go there and look. Um, in, in a lot of contemporary Christian cultures, almost every understanding of the body is filtered through the uh, uh, filtered through our understanding of a local fellowship. And we need to understand that the body of Christ is all believers, whether they're here this morning or someplace else, those who are really believers are part of the body of Christ. Whether they are alive now or have gone on to be with the Lord. All part of the body of Christ. So, um, we're all different. There's, you know, diversity is a, a catchphrase today, isn't it? There's no better example, or there shouldn't be any better example of it than in the body of Christ. All different. And that's why Paul said it's not all a head, it's not all a hand, and so forth. And, and all different, but unified in making the body grow and function in health. That's how the last passage that we looked at here in Ephesians 4 went on. And we spent some, some time talking about, talking about the gifts. Now, I want to read to you a little quote. This is uh, from a book called Bandersnatch. Um, it's basically a book about the Inklings. And some of you might know who the Inklings were. The Inklings were the group of authors in England that included C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and how they would get together and read their writings back and forth with one another. It's basically a book about collaboration. Um, uh, so it's about those guys and what they did and how they interacted. But I want to read this quote because as I read this, I thought, man, this is, they don't know, they didn't use it in this way. They're using it about how writers will read something maybe that was written 200 years ago and it goes into their mind and it, they think about it and it becomes part of them and then later, out, later on that writer may bring something similar to that out. We're not talking about a plagiarism. We're talking about something that, that became them and then as it became them, it, it, it came out from them. Um, so here's a little story. Think with me about this. Imagine that you enter a parlor... You come late. When you arrive, others have long preceded you, and they are engaged in a heated discussion. A discussion too heated for them to pause and tell you exactly what it is about. In fact, the discussion had begun long before any of them got there, so that no one present is qualified to retrace to retrace for you all the steps that had gone before. Everybody with me here so far? You listen for a while until you decide that you have caught the tenor of the argument. Then you put in your oar. That's a good, that's a good way of putting that, I guess. Someone answers you and you answer him. Another comes to your defense. Another aligns himself against you. However, the discussion is interminable. It just goes on. The hour grows late. You must depart. And you do depart with the discussion still rigorously in a process. 
As this description illustrates, the things we say or make or write exist as one part of a much larger context. We borrow from those who have been there before us. We are sharpened and challenged by those who surround us. And when we leave our mark, our legacy, for, uh, and, and then we leave our mark, our legacy, for those who will come long after we have gone. I read that and I thought that is a wonderful example of the way this body, the Church of Jesus Christ, is to function. And it's, it's, it's not just a meeting thing. I mean, we encourage you when you come, you know, get to one another, find out, what, what, find out what folks are doing, find out what you can, how you can pray and, and that sort of thing. But it's not just a meeting thing. It's, it's a whole life thing. No, no one is a believer one or two hours a week. This whole idea that we enter into the presence of God and then we leave the presence of God is a fallacy. It's not biblical. We live before the Lord all 168 hours of the week that we have. It's a whole life thing. So at home or at work, um, whether it's planned or whether it's informal, God uses us. And that's, this is what the process of discipleship is. If you let it, if you say to yourself, Lord, today, guide my steps, guide my heart, guide my mind, guide my words, whatever words you want to put in that. If you, if you have that idea, Lord, I give this day to you so that you can use me. Then where you go during that day, you can have an interaction just like this person who walked into the parlor and found himself in this discussion. You listen to what's going on. Eventually, as they said, you put in your oar. You plow along for a while. You interchange with the folks that are around about you and then you go on your way and they go on their way and hopefully they have gone on their way with some seed or impression that God can use. And hopefully while you were there with them, you picked up some seed or impression. That is how the whole of life ought to be. And I hope you can see in that the wonderful uh, gift, the dignity that God has in His grace bestowed on every single believer. That you can be a part, through His Holy Spirit, of His working in other people's lives and that you can also receive from other people as he works in their lives. So, that's our review. We're going to go on from there. Um, My sermon today is titled, This Body, or The Body, Walks and Talks. So if if you look with me carefully here, verse 17 of chapter 4, chapter 5, verse 1, Chapter 5, verse 9, we'll look at those verses as we move forward here. Actually, we're beginning a, a, a process where the apostle kind of shifts his emphasis again. All of those verses, and there are others, talk about how we are to walk. Some of your Bible may say conversation. Some of your translations may say manner of life. But it's how we're living, how we walk. Chapter 4, verse 25 Chapter 4, verse 29, and chapter 5, verse 4, all use the word 
talk. This body of the Lord walks and talks. And, it's, and he wants it to walk and talk in the way that he created it. Remember back in chapter 2 we looked at those verses that we're created in him. We are his workmanship and he's doing his work within us. Now how, how does that happen? Well in chapter 4 verse 22 we read it that we put off the old self. And in verse 24 we put on the new self. Put off the old, put on the new. We're going to talk about a little bit more about that in just a minute. If you want to cross-reference this, and maybe some of your Bibles will have a cross-reference, you can look at Colossians chapter 3 where it talks about doing this. I hope you see that there is an expected difference between the old and the new. The old man, and if you remember in, in chapter 2, Paul begins chapter 2 with these interesting words, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. And then he, he, he goes on to talk about the difference that, that happens and the good things that God has done for us. So I hope you see that there is an expected difference between the old and the new. The old man, that old self, that individual who walked and talked based on his old, verse 22 says, corrupt life, as opposed to the new man who is renewed, it says in verse 23, we'll look at that in a second, created after the pattern of God. Verse 24, we, and we, we call that um, Christ-likeness. And that's what it says, go back here just a couple of verses. Um, in verse 16, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It says in verse 15, speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So this whole body working, as we talked about, and we, we grow, and the, the goal, the object of this, this thing that God wants to do, his, this workmanship that he wants to do in us, is so that the Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified and will grow up into him. Well, now let's look at some of this, some of the specifics here. Verse 17, um, 17 and 18. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer, and use the word, it's interesting, he says, must walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So when he uses the word Gentiles, it's um, it's not a racial term. He's talking about the unbelievers. And remember, he's writing to Ephesus. Ephesus was there were Jews in Ephesus, but Ephesus was not a Jewish city. Ephesus was one of the Roman subcapitals. It was highly influenced by Greek, by the Greeks, and then it was highly uh, influenced by the Romans. It's a great center of Roman commerce and, and a governmental center for that particular part of the world. So they lived among the unsaved. And he says that these Gentiles, their minds are futile. What does that mean? That means that they cannot get to the truth about God. 
Why? Because it says their understanding is darkened. There is no light, and without light, they cannot see, they cannot perceive, they cannot grasp. And because of this, they are alienated from God because of this ignorance. So because they don't know, they're alienated from God. And why are they ignorant? Because in verse 18 it says they have hardened their heart. They are, there has been a willful rejection. If you want to cross-reference this, we'll take time to do it today, but if you want to cross-reference this, you can look at Romans chapter 1. And actually about several verses in the Romans chapter 2. The famous passage where Paul lays out how all the world is guilty before God. Even those who, who, who did not have God's word could see God in his creation, but they rejected him. All men, and that's, and that's, you know, so when he says Gentiles, he's talking about the unsaved. Every unbeliever, all men, apart from the grace of God, are ignorant of him and reject him. It's only the grace of God through the Spirit of God that causes men to see. Verse 19 says, um, they have become callous and have given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Uh, it's interesting, the word callous is, is used, it's actually a medical term. So he earlier says they're hardened, but now you get this word callous, and it, it was, it's used of a callous, it's also used of other things where the body hardens itself. It says they have given themselves to sensuality. Some translations will use the word licentious or licentiousness. And it has to do with um, just giving yourself to sensual pleasures. Now, um, that's true, but that's narrow, and I don't, I don't want it to be... I want you to think past some of that narrowness that we tend to think about it. It's not just physical. It, it is responding to every kind of stimulus. I mean, that's how we... It's what you know. We we have our senses, and you know our sight and our smell and our hearing and our touch and taste, and we relate to the world through those things. But it's through it's through those things that we receive pain and pleasure. It's through our perception of things and the working of our mind that we have fear or perhaps joy. Because we see something happen, the pleasure, we, and without going, you know, taking a lot of time to go into illustrations, things that we see that, that, that may, may cause us to recoil, be repulsed, you know, we, we pull back. Why? We see it, and, and, and we, we comprehend, and we say, well, I'm staying away from that. Things that, that cause us, we, we, may, uh, we may smile at a baby or a child and we see something pleasurable there and, and encouraging and it's a blessing. It's all a response. So it's responding to every kind of stimulus that comes. Pleasures or threats. 
But he says these people are doing it based on their godless thoughts. Animal-like. Animals do the same thing. Um, we're down to one cat now. But when we had several, um, we discovered that the way to tear your house up is to drop a pot. Because if you drop something and it makes a banging noise, cat A will think cat B did it and rip into cat B. And cat B will retaliate against cat A. And they will bump into cat C. And now you've got a rolling... Uh, you know, if those of you who are old enough can picture these old Tasmanian devil cartoons, okay? You got this thing like a whirlwind going through your house, ripping everything up. R- responding, actually, to a stimulus that really wasn't necessary for them to respond to. Um, I guess that's old, that old self-preservation. And folks, without the Holy Ghost, that's what, we're, that's what we are boiled down to. And there's more that could be said about this, and I don't have time to get into it. I can't get too philosophical with all this today. But in this, in this instance, he's talking about these people who have godless thoughts because they have shut God out. They don't know. They don't have knowledge. Their understanding is darkened. And, and in this particular instance, they, they live like animals. And then he says they are greedy to practice impurity. And that's what my translation was. Your, some of your translations may, have a, uh, may say it another way. It may say unclean, and that may, be, uh, that may be more descriptive and click over more in our mind. They're insatiable and never feel, and they're always searching for some new pleasure, for some greater satisfaction. And it's, it's all based on them. It's all based on their, their senses making themselves. And he says, that's how they live. You're to put that man away. That's not how you are to live. Verse 20. That is not the way you learned Christ. Very short verse, isn't it? Verse 21. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And we'll go, let's look at those. So here, uh, a little passage, uh, you know, you can, I kind of wrote in my notes here, call it the school of Christ. And um, it is to counter the hardened, calloused heart and mind to know Christ, to learn Christ. Interesting wording here that it says, learned Christ. Not knowing about him, that's just the intro. You basically have to know about him before you can know him, but that's just the intro. There are a lot of people who know about him who do not know him. Not knowing about him, but to know him. And it's interesting language because he says learned Christ and I already kind of mentioned this not learned about him but learned him. 
it says taught in him. Not about him, but in him. And then it says truth is in Jesus. So what we're doing here is dealing with the inner life of the believer when by the wonderful work of the Spirit, the mind of the Lord, the heart of the Lord is pulled into us and changes us. And that's what he's talking about with this new man that we're to put on in verse 24. That the inner life of the believer, a disciple, that's what it is. It's far more than recitation of a creed. There are people who know the creeds who don't know Christ and haven't learned Christ. It's, it, it's, it's far more than attending a meeting. Actually, you probably can have all of it without attending a meeting. It's, it's probably not the best way to do it, but it's probably possible. It is the mind of God being infused into us. And it happens because of the good work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to read you just a couple quotes here from uh, R.C. Sproul's um, little commentary. If I can find them. We, we uh, you know, I hope... I hope and pray you do not have a, a, a pocket blessings book or a little thing with a card with a, pull a verse out and read it every day and say, that's your verse. Um, there used to be this thing, I forget what it's called. It, it was in the shape of a plastic loaf of bread. And it had Bible, little cards and Bible verses in it. And you pulled one out. And you read it, and that was your Bible verse for today. Um, I hope that you read, and we have a reading plan in our bulletin, and it's on the website, so that you can systematically read through Scripture. And of course, we're reading through this (laughs) rather slowly uh, on Sundays. But that you give yourself to it. Uh, and I've, I think I've shared this before, but I remember years ago how uh, I heard a man tell the story that he, he knew of a fella who, how he, how he read the Word of God was he would open it like this and then stick his finger down and read the verse. And that would be his verse for the day. So he did that and he read the verse and it said, and Judas went out and hung himself. And he said, well, that's not very edifying. I'm going to do it again. And he did it again. And he came to the verse, Go ye therefore and do likewise. <laughs> so uh, hopefully he rejected that counsel because that's obviously not how you study God's Word. Listen to what Sproul says. We are called to study Scriptures, not merely read the Scriptures. Reading the Bible daily is a wonderful devotional practice, but merely reading a passage does not mean that we are earnestly seeking to understand what the passage says or that we are demonstrating devotion to God. We should always be studying what we're reading and devoted to that which we're studying. What's he mean devoted? It means that that we're letting it go into our heart. We're not just uh, letting it go into our mind. 
He says, our generation is utterly irresponsible when it comes to diligence in searching out the truth of God. It has become an evangelical axiom that we want a childlike faith that doesn't have any mixture of theology or doctrine in it. All we need to know is Jesus. And this idea exalts darkness, blindness, and ignorance. The very things that are called, that we are called to walk away from. As Christians, we are called to diligent pursuit of God's word and of his truth. So, uh, there's a lot in here that where the apostle focuses on what's going on in the mind of this unbeliever. And I talked about some of that. His mind is, 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 uh, is futile. His understanding is darkened. And all of that is the result, not the cause. It's the result of his rejecting who God is. That when he saw what God could do and got a glimpse of who God was, he said, no, I don't like that. I don't like that. And began to, you can read, you can read about the fertility cults and things in the Old Testaments. It's not different than what was going on in the culture all around about them. When you read about the plagues of Egypt and some of the things that went on, and if you if you study history and go back, you find out that that's you know we have to have crops. We want we want our cows to be fertile. We want our goats to to have little ones. We want we want milk from those things. We we want crops from our fields. So we'll do what we can do to manipulate this higher power. Instead of seeing in the good things that God has given uh, a powerful, beneficial, beneficent God who loves us, a loving God who cares for us. So there, Paul is dealing with minds and he talks about, you know, here's how their mind works, here's how I want your mind to work. I want you to learn Christ, I want you to be taught in him, I want you to see the truth that is in him. I want you to put on this new man. It's, it's the mind of God being infused into us. The teacher or the preacher uh, or even the Bible, you can read the Bible, can say many things and it's worthless without the fertile soil of the heart and mind of the believer prepared by the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit doesn't do it, and so there's a there's an element, and you can look up Mark. You can look at Mark chapter four. Jesus talked about where the seed fell along the road. So there's also an element of yieldedness to the Lord. If if they hardened hearts and were darkened, then truth and light will come with sensitive hearts. Lord, make us sensitive to you. Help us to see you. Verse 23. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I'll read verse 24 also. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So he says, I want you to be a renewal of your mind. And, um, Romans 12, the first couple of verses talks about this. Um, there's other places that, that talk about it. When you think about renewal, and I don't know what your 
Does somebody else have a different word in there from your, your translation? Be renewed in the spirit of your minds? You have a different word for renewed? Anybody have a Bible? It's the same? Okay. Made new? You, you all got the same translation? Are we all becoming boring? You know, we all got the same thing? All right. <clears throat> we talked about that this morning because there was some question of whether or not our computer was going to work for the Bible reading. And someone suggests we could just read it out of our translations. We did that once a couple years ago. Uh, let's just to say we don't want to do that again. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I have no idea where I was. Verse 23, renewed. So, when you think about renewed, think about uh, a renewal. Think about a remodel. Think about going in and changing so it doesn't look the same. People whom the Lord touches and saves should begin immediately and proceed gradually, depending on, you know, that's a, an open turn, proceed gradually to be renewed and look different all the time from the old self. Putting off the old, putting on the new, letting God do in the new what He wants to do. We put off that old corrupt self, that old man, because it is corrupt. Now, there's a lot in the modern church that manipulates the old man by appeasing him. Uh, think about it, folks. Uh, how are your toes this morning? I pull them back under you a little bit because I'm going to walk or stomp around for a second. Um, if people, if Christian or church-going people weren't greedy, there would be no prosperity teachers. They're manipulating the old man. And we've pulled all sorts of things like that into the church. When we get to the end of this chapter and we talk about forgiveness, I'm going to talk to you some more about that at that particular aspect because it's even, it's even more subtle. The, 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 there are spiritual nuances to it that are even more subtle than that. So, so too much in the modern church wants to manipulate the old man by appeasing him, telling us he's okay, letting him have his way. When, when the Lord wants us to be a new man and put off the old... And sometimes we do that to ourselves. We, we work to make the old man happy. And every time we do, we do violence to what should be our love and devotion for the Lord. For the Lord who gave himself for us. We can talk, we can talk glibly about the death of Christ but we shouldn't. There should be a sense of, of awe and reverence and brokenness 
and humility and gratitude. As we talk about Jesus Christ, very God, who took upon himself the form of humanity to die when we didn't deserve it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He showed us his love that he died for us while we were yet sinners. Takes, and we looked as we read in Ephesians earlier, there's no place for boasting. There's nothing that we have done. He has done it all. We owe it all to him. And for all of this to function, function effectively, we have to love him more than we love self. And if we love him more than we love self, then we'll put off the old corrupt self. And, and as we put off the old corrupt self and see more, we'll learn him more. And that infusion, that exchange will take place more and there'll be more renewal. And as we do that, our walk and our talk will glorify him. I go back to that passage I read. And again, I don't know the author how the author intended this in this book about the Inklings. But I read that and I thought, how marvelous is the working of God. That something one of us says in a conversation with somebody else could be used of God in that other person's life to change their life. To cause them to think about some eternal thing in a way they had never thought about it before. To cause them, through the Holy Spirit, to have their mind renewed so that their thinking is reorganized according to God's Scripture and His eternal truth. Truth is in Jesus Christ. And and that their, their life would be changed because of that. And from that moment on, as that thing is formulated, they, they see that, at least that thing, a little bit differently. And they think about it differently. And they talk about it differently. And they bump into other people in much the same way they were bumped into. And they share that. And it goes on and on and on. And I was awed when I read that. I thought, man, how wonderful and great is God that he would cause us so that every joint supplies And so that our walk and talk could glorify almighty, eternal God. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, this world, its all of its systems and its pressures, is designed to feed the old corrupt man. It's constantly calling to us. It's constantly showing itself to us. It's constantly pulling at us. and, and uh, There's just this never-ending pressure. And to counter that, as believers, we have the still, small voice of Jesus Christ, of the Holy Spirit. who wants to open our eyes to light, wants us to see, wants us to be changed, wants us to put on that new man. He's already there. wants us to put it on. 
Lord, I pray if there's anyone who's listening to me today and they're not aware of this old man and new man, I pray you would save them. As every believer knows what it's like to deal with the old man and to put on the new. And I I pray, Lord, that in this world that looks bright but is full of darkness, you'll cause us to find the truth in Jesus Christ. That we'll learn Him and be taught in Him and walk in newness of life. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.